Welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistence. Action is the best antidote for anxiety, and we can all make a difference right now. Today, we're celebrating a democracy-protecting decision from SCOTUS. Is this right? (laughs) Yes, it is. And we'll also discuss the looming threat posed by third-party candidates in the presidential election. And we often talk about how important Virginia is as a bellwether for volunteer enthusiasm. So we are excited to be joined today by the founder and co-executive director of the new Virginia majority, Tram Wynn. I'm Steve Pearson. I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And I'm Jessica Craven. And And this this is is How We Win. Good afternoon, Jen and Jess. So nice to be back with you this week with some actual good news to speak about. Uh, It's been a very interesting week. There's been a lot of news, Uh, a lot of stuff we're not going to talk about. Um, But I'm excited for people to hear this interview that we just did with Tram. She is someone who uh, I have never met, never had the opportunity to talk to, and uh, was trying to book for the podcast years ago um, because Virginia is such an important state. And, and the work that she's doing, uh, building community engagement there and uh, you know, supporting outside volunteers to, uh, to help out with their work and giving folks opportunities to really make an impact. She was one of those folks who put that blueprint together back in 2016, uh, 2016, 2017, about how we can galvanize all of these outside groups and really, you know, organize together. So uh, it's a yeah, great interview. Farther, yeah. Farther back than that, even, I think she was already building that when the wave came in response to Trump's election in 2016. Um, I mean, I I only count when I was getting involved, so that's really... (laughs) (laughs) No, but she was one of the early architects of even Way to Win. She was one of the people that we talked to a lot when we were building it, so because that's the kind of model of organizing that Way to Win wanted to support more of around the country, so I was really glad to have her on. And I look forward to hearing the interview because I know that the new Virginia majority is supposed to be one of the most effective grassroots groups working in uh, Virginia. So I'm excited. Mm -hmm. Um, But before we do that, let's talk about the top news of the week. And uh, like we teased out in the opening, SCOTUS showing up with some surprising, uh, surprising decisions, right? We had more V Harper and, um, and this, you know, arcane independent state legislature theory that had been peddled by uh, these MAGA extremists as a way to subjugate the will of the people and give uh, uh, undue influence to legislatures uh, and stop the ability of state uh, Supreme Courts to intervene when, you know, egregious gerrymandering happens or or just they try to intervene uh, as you know, changing the electors themselves, you know, such a dire threat to the very fabric of our democracy and something we were all looking very closely at as a very looming, uh, scary decision the Supreme Court took up and um, they uh, knocked it down six to three. Basically ruled in the best possible way. It was sort of the strongest pro-democracy ruling, I think, possible in, in this case. Yeah, I mean, it is... It is something to celebrate, and at the same time, it was so egregious. Like, the idea of 
the court actually allowing these MAGA-dominated state legislators to just overturn federal elections. And then we're just like, woohoo, they didn't do that. But it's like, what? Right. Why are they even considering that? You know, I mean, it's just part of the, I think, the normalization that the Supreme Court of the United States should intervene in elections that has been going on since Bush v. Gore even, right? It's just, it's not really right. what they should be doing at all. Right. They should never have even taken this case under consideration. Right. And the fact that they did, I think, really scared people. And then I personally believe, because I always believe in the power of, you know, activists and sort of public outcry, mm -hmm. that they, I think they've yeah. been scared by a year of just castigation over their corruption and their extremism and their partisanship. And I, I think they maybe would have ruled differently if it hadn't been the year that it's been. But we'll never know, of course. Yeah. No, it's true. And it's a good reminder that it does matter. The climate that we create around these decisions really does make a difference. And there's a lot of topics that they're taking up this time. And I think they are also, some of them are going to be really bad, really devastating. And we're, yeah. we just haven't seen that yet. It's a little bit, I mean, it's going to happen, right? At the end of this week, isn't this the last week? Yeah. And they usually, save, really they usually save the bad stuff for like right before they go crawl back in their holes, right? You know, yeah. right, right uh, at the end. Is that true? Really? I didn't they know that. Do. Yeah. I'm, yeah. It's definitely going to be bad, I think, for student loans, for affirmative action. I mean, we'll see. They've been, you're right, they've been surprising. So we don't know. But it is, I think there's something definitely there around the legitimacy question. And they're not gonna just mm -hmm. make all the decisions they would want to because in this kind of climate they they can't they know that they're sh standing on such sh shaky ground all right so that's that's that and then we wanted to talk about uh these third party challenges that we're seeing from the presidential uh start to emerge and uh you know feels a bit like groundhog day it feels like we should know better because we've been down this road before with you know spoiler candidates that uh, really threaten uh, our ability to win that, you know, um, that tip the scales. So um, there's a couple of things happening right now. There's the the no labels party, you know, right, um, which we've talked about, which we've talked a about a little, before. little bit. But do you want to talk about that, Jennifer? Sure. Um, so I think we've talked about it before in the context of Joe Manchin, because he right. had been floated as a possible candidate. What we do know is that No Labels, um, which is primarily funded by big corporate special interests and uh, Republicans. Really? <laughs> yeah. Shocking. Um, <laughs> yes. And we know that they... Um, have put a ton of money into actually getting on the ballot in as a ballot line in several key states. What they they've talked about recruiting different kind of people. Larry Hogan from Maryland talked about Joe Manchin. They've talked about Kirsten Cinema as a type of candidate that they would want to try to find who would be a you know an alternative to Trump and Biden. And so um, so it's a real threat because. Um, we just know that these elections are are decided by such small margins in these key swing states. And, you know, there's no possible way that this third party challenge could win. That's sort of the delusion that they're under. They believe they, they're saying that they think they can actually win and they have this like really bogus polling. It's like all really bad. But the reality is they would just serve as a spoiler because they probably would peel off votes not only from the Republicans, but also from the Democrats. Some of those never Trumpers, some of those Republicans that, 
you know, would follow Liz Cheney's mold, who we actually need to win in our Biden coalition. They're a pretty significant margin, independence as well in these swing states in particular. So, so that one, um, and it's important to, to add to that. Sorry to interrupt, but it's just important to add to mm-hmm. that that the uh, the places where they're spending the most money to try to get on the ballot are pointedly these swing states where the elections are very close. Like they're not spending yeah. tons of money to get on the ballot in California, right? Right. Um, exactly. It's the states where the vote the decision of the electoral college is decided by 10,000, you know, 20,000 votes. And that, that tells you everything you need to know about who is doing this and why they are doing it. Because if they, if this was a a real effort to field a candidate, then it would be equitable across, you know, all of these states. And, um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we just saw this happen on succession. I mean, we should know better. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. No spoilers. I haven't finished Succession yet. Well, mm-hmm. I didn't go into detail. I just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sorry. Yeah, sure. I'll put no, a spoiler warning at the beginning of this podcast <laughs> on the show notes. <laughs> it was pretty vague, so <laughs> no. But it was also what part of what we saw happen in in yeah twenty in what what was the election? Was it two thousand? And then also well there. Right, there was Jill Stein in 2016. There was mm-hmm. Ralph Nader, which was like what, a really long time ago, but equally destructive in the yeah. in the Bush. Gore would Gore, Gore would be president that if was, it wasn't for Ralph Nader. Yeah, you I know? mean, if you're 20, if you're as old as I am, and I'm sorry to pull the age card here, but like you, I have seen this play out. Yep. Right. Like this gives me nightmares more than mm-hmm. I just cannot understand why people are allowing this to happen. And hopefully, you know, we'll stop it. But this and then the next thing mm-hmm. that you're about to talk about gives me such agita, I can't even tell you. And I don't get agita easily. This gives me agita. <laughs> well, you talked about yeah. Jill Stein. You brought her up. She is uh, um, back in action. She's back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, go ahead. So she's, yeah, so the news this week, I believe was this week or last week, that um, Jill Stein, who was a big spoiler in that 2016 election where we lost by what, 30,000, 40,000 votes across four or five states, uh, is back on the Green Party ticket helping Cornell West, who is a very respected activist and law professor. I think we have all probably read him and heard him and love him in some context. But he's now, um, he had been deciding to jump in as a third-party candidate for the People's Party, which was kind of cool because he would be able to have a little platform, but the People's Party doesn't have any ballot access in most states, only in one state of Florida. So now he's jumped in and saying he's going to run for the Green Party nomination, which has ballot access in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Um, They're fighting for it right now in Georgia, Arizona, Nevada. So, you know, that is the nightmare scenario where you have someone who, by the way, is already, there was a poll last week that showed him polling at 6% right now. I mean, of course that will change, but that's really high in to peel off votes in some of these states where the elections are so tight. So Yeah, it's, it's very confusing to me because like you said, I think that we, uh, many of us respect Cornell West uh, a whole heck of a lot. And um I mean, he knows. Be- I mean, he knows what he's doing, mm-hmm. but does he know what he's doing? Because, because I don't. I just. I'm so confused by it. I. I, uh, I mm-hmm. guess I want to hear him. I, you know, I would tune into an interview where he tries to explain exactly, you know, why he's doing this and why this isn't going to destroy our democracy if it, you know, uh, if it opens the door for, 
Trump or DeSantis to uh, win the presidency or, you know, really any of them. But um, uh, I, I just I'm confused. I mean, Jessica, you're just like shaking your head and it uh, looks like you're you're binge eating a bowl of ice cream there. What is that? I can't know. Yeah, I'm right. Exactly. I'm shoveling pizza down my throat. No. Yeah, no. She I cake? mean, it's it, this it makes me mad. I mean, I, I feel, you know, I don't there's so much to be stressed out about. I don't understand why people are introducing new unnecessary stressors. Like it's so yeah. clear that we all need to be united on one ticket. Um. So, you know, I, yeah. I, but I also like, I'm a, I'm a big fan of not obsessing about things I can't control. So mm. this whole situation, I've been sort of, you know, like when we know what to do about it, we will do something about it. But right now I'm just sort of, I mean, I don't I'm not even religious, but I'm like praying that these people sort of come to their senses and realize that like there is a, a common welfare that has to come before their individual ambitions. But, uh, you know, one can only mm -hmm. hope or that their, their friends and family get to them and talk to them. I, I don't know. I don't mm -hmm. know what it's going to take, but it's uh, it's like an asteroid barreling towards the Earth. It's very <laughs> scary, and I, I'm hoping we can fend it off, or it will get fended off. But um, you know, a year ago we thought Morvey Harper was going to destroy our country, and and that, yeah. you know, there so you we just don't know what's going to happen in the next year. I can't believe Cornell West wants to destroy the United States and reelect Trump. I mean, that goes against everything he's ever stood for. So yeah. But and I don't know. They don't see it that way. You know, even Jill Stein to this day won't won't say like, she really s believes that all of her voters were never going to show up and vote for Hillary Clinton. And so therefore she did not spoil it. And there's just not really any way of knowing. But I think that when they come with these these candidacies, they're they're essentially saying, you know, it's not about I'm bringing out new people who don't want to vote for either the one that's on the ballot already. So there's a little bit of a, it's like they don't, they just don't see it the same way that we do. They don't see it as a spoiler. That's what's really weird. It's like there's a warped reality inside of some of these. Yeah. Right. But, but history will see it as a spoiler. I mean, they can, yeah. they, you know, it's like, whatever, Trump doesn't think he did anything wrong. Like these people are so <laughs> self-deluded. And at a certain point with the rest of us have to stop and say, well, you can believe that like pickles grow on trees. But, yeah. you know, that does not mean we're living in pickle land. It just means you're... Pickles. Diluted. I just Everyone I knows like pickles, pickles grow, in the, grow in the dirt. Pickles right yeah. now. That I mean, I do like good. I like pickles a lot. Pickles grow anyway. in the earth. We all know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's. I wonder if there's anything that Biden can do. You know, it's like, are they looking for some concessions, or are is there something about the platform? Is there some kind of way? You know what I mean? That you can actually there could be an olive branch or something. I don't really know. But I mean, that makes sense from Cornell West's standpoint about why he would you know kind of do this if he had some platform issues that he really wanted addressed and and mm -hmm. wanted uh, to be center stage. Um, but I, I think I, I love what Jessica was saying about not worrying too much about things you have no control over. And we do have a long, uh, a long way to go on this. Um, but I do think we yeah. have a role to play in it now. And uh, that's, you know, like our listeners are hip to it. Our listeners have been focused on building unity and building our collective power, you know, for years now. Uh, but we need to be able to talk about this with other people. And I think uh, especially mm -hmm. when it uh, comes to the no labels party and this stuff, uh, just letting people know this is funded by Republicans. You, you can just follow the money and let people know it's very clear. It's it's funded by Republicans. They're working on these very tight swing states. And um, 
Uh, I think people need to know that. And, and when you're talking to people about it, if they're interested in it. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's get everyone into action. I mean, obviously you're going to talk to your friends about third party and please don't spoil it. Um, and you won't spoil a succession, uh, news either for folks who haven't listened, watched it, but come on, where have you been, Jennifer? It's, it's been out for a long time. You got to catch I know, up. I'm almost there. <laughs> I'm literally at the election episode. Like that's what my next episode I'm about to watch. So. <sighs> Gosh. I'm almost there. Okay. All right, we expect this to be completed by next week, okay? We're going <laughs> to yes, come back for to sure. this. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying not to watch The Bear because my family's out of town and we have to watch mm. that together, but I think I'm just going to have to jump in because there'll be too many spoilers. But I uh, love The Bear. I love that show. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we digress. Let's talk about getting into action. And um, do you want to discuss Ohio? Yes, I would love to talk about Ohio. So uh, the the first uh, action item here is the August uh, election in Ohio, which I, just the very short version of it is that the Republican Party in Ohio has scheduled a special election for August 8th in which they are going to try to change the rules in how ballot measures are passed. They want to raise the threshold for how many people it takes to pass one from 50% to 60%. They want to do this so they can defeat a an ab- abortion a ballot amendment that is hopefully going to be on the ballot in November. And then apparently the next year, there's another one planned to address partisan gerrymandering, and they want to defeat that too. Mm. So uh, this election is coming up. Nobody understands what is going on. I've been doing a little bit of phone banking for it. People, the awareness level is very low. So if you are in Ohio or you have friends or family in Ohio, uh, it is issue one. It's going to be on the ballot August 8th, but early voting starts, I believe, July 11th. And uh, you want to also check your voter registration because they've purged a whole bunch of people and it's not too late to get yourself back on the voter rolls. But you want to vote no on issue one. It's the only thing on the ballot. And uh, there's lots of great ways to get involved. It looks like Steve has one here. Yeah, our friends at Swing Left are, are uh, for the first time in their organization's history, getting involved in a special election on a ballot measure. Um, and they've got some great resources to phone bank, to write letters. Uh, if you're in the area, they're putting together canvases. So um, I've got a link to their Ohio resources, and it's a great place to get involved right there. That's great, yes. And it's so important because... The abortion ballot measure, which they're still trying to get on the ballot for November 24, can be a big mobilizing issue for also the Senate race, which is a huge, hugely important race with Sherrod Brown being um, hopefully reelected. But it's a tough state. You know, it's gotten tougher in the Trump era. So, yeah. Um, so definitely appreciate. So super important. To, yeah, to super important. Now. Um, and the link is there. And then the other real quick action item is our live podcast event in support of our campaign for state assembly that's happening this Thursday night with our friends, Brian Tyler Cohen from No Lie with BTC. Also, did you guys know Brian's now a uh, MSNBC contributor? He just got that gig. I know. That's cool. Yeah, very exciting. We're happy for him. And uh, Allison Gill, of course, from Muller She Wrote and The Daily Beans and Jack. Um, And it will be about the power of local legislatures and how we in California can really push back against these, uh, you know, test labs for autocracy we see in these red states. But 
It will be interactive. So yes, you can ask Allison Gill about Jack Smith and uh, what's going on there because I know you want to. Um, but anyway, it's going to be a really fun live event. The link will be in the show notes and uh, and I'm just grateful for everyone uh, participating and supporting our campaign. I'm very grateful for that. So I hope to see everyone there Thursday night. Yay. It'll be so fun. It's going to be a party. Whoop, whoop. All right. Oh my gosh. Reasons for hope. Mine, I'll just say really quickly. It was SCOTUS. SCOTUS gave me some damn hope and, and everyone around it. The, you know, uh, the folks who, uh, Neil Katiao, who was one of the uh, leads arguing that case. Um, Mark Elias, who has been on the forefront of protecting our democracy uh, with these egregious uh, lawsuits and fighting back against them. So uh, I'm just, it, it gives me a lot of hope to see justice prevailing, the rule of law prevailing, and democracy being protected. And so that's that's my reason for hope. Awesome. I'll say mine was seeing the Biden administration's executive order strengthening access to contraception. This is um, this was coming, of course, around the anniversary of Dobbs. So that was an important additional action step. And it just did several things to strengthen access for people uh, across the country. Um, and it's just a really good issue because contraception is widely popular, even more popular than abortion rights. And um, it's actually hugely popular with men. It's a like part of an audience that doesn't always get pulled into the abortion fight, but we've been seeing in a lot of the organizing that's been happening in key districts that it's just, it's a really actually good not only is it important for health of everyone and for people to have control of their own bodies, but it's actually a good wedge issue on Republicans because people really don't like that they're trying to take away contraception and they don't even know that they're trying to take away contraception. So it's a it's a really important issue to keep pushing in um, these districts, especially congressional districts that are held by Republicans that Biden won. Great. You know, I did not know that the polling on that was so good with men and contraception. I, mm -hmm. I that I'd missed. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Good to know. Mm -hmm. Not saying anything because okay. the only thing that's been popping in my head is all kinds of inappropriate jokes that will get me in trouble. So, remember, I'm just going to I'm just going to keep it zipped. What's your reason for okay. hope, Jessica? <laughs> well, last week when we recorded, we we I think we talked about the fact that the Virginia primaries were happening on that day, and they went really really well. Uh, and the biggest victory, I think by far, everyone would agree, is that uh, pro-choice challenger La Charisse aired. Uh, defeated a Democratic incumbent named Joe Morrissey. He is quote-unquote pro-life and a Democrat, which I don't even understand how those two things are in the same sentence anymore. But he has also got a laundry list of horrific... He's... The guy is... You should just Google him because it's really shocking. Uh, he's been disbarred. He's gone to prison. He's run for office from prison for like... I think he married a, 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 a woman who was 16 when he started dating her. I'm just, Oof. it's crazy. Anyway, he has been ousted. And this is important because as you know, you all know, we have a very, very narrow majority in the state Senate in Virginia. And we need every pro-choice vote we have. And he was someone who might very well have voted with, uh, you know, the Republicans on an abortion ban, which Glenn Youngkin really wants to pass. Mm -hmm. And so... 
Uh, Laura Charisse Aird is strongly pro-choice. She won the primary. She's going to run for the seat, which is a strong blue seat. So that just means that we have gotten rid of the last um, forced birther uh, state Senate lawmaker in Virginia. And that's a great thing. And also all three of the January 6th participants who ran on the Republican ballot in the primary did not win their uh, primaries. So yay for that as well. That is great. Very hopeful and also a perfect segue into our interview. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to yes. screw it up though, because I just want to say one last thing as we are coming to the end of Pride Month, uh, which is has been a celebration. I just want everyone to uh, keep the LGBTQ plus community uh, top of mind, you know, coming out of Pride Month because uh, they're still under attack, kids are under attack, and while we celebrate over this month, there's a lot of work still to be done, and we need to keep that top of mind. So, um, Pride Month month was fun, um, but it, you know, I just can't believe uh, the bravery it takes to be a um, an out and proud member of the LGBTQ plus community right now. It, it shouldn't it shouldn't have to be just one month where you get to live your truth. So. Um, so I just want to say that. And then yeah. um, uh, thank you for the, the great news about Virginia. We're going to hear more uh, right now with our interview with Tram Wynn. Tram Wen is the co-executive director and founder of the New Virginia Majority. She leads multiracial, multi-issue campaigns using large-scale civic engagement, community organizing, and strategic communications. Her work on democracy, criminal justice, immigrants' rights, climate change, and economic opportunity explore the intersections of social, racial, and economic justice. I have been looking forward to speaking with her really since we launched this podcast. So I'm so excited for you to join us today, Tram. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you so much. Welcome, Tram. Um, We always like to get started with a little bit of an origin story. Uh, So, you know, what led you to this work? What were your first memories of of getting involved? Well, I grew up in um, the suburbs of Richmond, Virginia, and wasn't super politically engaged, um, you know, growing up, although I did experience lots of instances of racism growing up as an immigrant um, in the former capital of the Confederacy at a time when Virginia was not anywhere near as diverse as it is today. Um, So, In first grade, for example, I remember my classmates debating in front of me whether I was black or whether I was white because Mm -hmm. it looked so different and they didn't know what box to put me in, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I I left Virginia to go to New York for college. And I think that's where I first got really politicized, being exposed to so many diverse opinions. And I... In college, I actually did some tutoring in Spanish Harlem um, with Dominican kids. And I, I I started to really see some of the commonalities that I experienced as an immigrant um, with these young folks that I was tutoring and some of the challenges that their families faced, whether it was job security for their parents, um, whether it was healthcare access and a number of things. And eventually made my way back to Virginia in 2006. And Virginia was a way different place um, than the Virginia that I grew up in in the 80s and 90s. 
on the coattails of comprehensive immigration reform, or actually on the coattails of the failure of comprehensive mm-hmm. immigration. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of us sort of did a postmortem analysis and realized that it wasn't enough to take to the streets and to protest because we did a lot of that for sure um, across the country and that there was another exercise of power that we had to really undertake and given the demographic shifts in Virginia we felt like it was really important to start to tap into some of that potential electoral power right demographics isn't destiny but it sure helps, right? And so we actually could tap into this emerging and growing population of immigrants and new Americans and did some political education and got them to understand the need to engage in the political system that we could fundamentally shape the landscape of Virginia and make it a different place. And so that's how it all started. It just, I mean, coming from uh, Virginia and being an immigrant, in the 80s and 90s and growing up in that environment and then to the to the Virginia that exists today is a complete swing. And um, I'm just proud to be a part of, of changing that landscape. I love that. I've heard your story before, Tram, but it's just always great to, to hear it again. It's so grounded in everything you've been building over the past decade there in Virginia. So I'm just curious if you could share with our listeners a little bit more about what's going on. If people haven't been paying uh, close attention, we know Virginia is always on, has an election every year, all the time, always on <laughs> Virginia. And so in 2023, um, what is really at stake? Um, why should people be paying attention? And then we'd love to hear what your takeaways are from the primaries, which we know just happened last week. Yeah, so you're right. Virginia has elections every year. And I feel like every year I say, this is the most important election (laughs) of the time. And and it's true. I just, because things shift all the time. And I would say 2023, at least from where I sit, is a really, really critical election, not just for Virginians and for those of us who live here, but I think for the country as a whole. Mm-hmm. So this year, all 140 state legislative seats are on the ballot. Mm-hmm. There are four state Senate seats and 100 state House seats. The Democrats have a very slim majority in the state Senate and have been the brick wall uh, in mm-hmm. terms of affecting our progress that we made over the last couple of years. And the House, ha- the Republicans have a slim majority in the House. And um, so what's at stake is control of our state legislature. And what's at stake is whether or not Governor Yunkin will have a Republican trifecta where he can then pass a MAGA agenda in Virginia. We are essentially one election away from becoming a MAGA state like Florida and Texas. Mm -hmm. And that's all on the line. And because it's the year before 2024, a lot of what happens in Virginia can portend what is going to happen across the country. And so we know that there's a lot riding on the line. Like there's a lot at stake for us here in Virginia, but we also feel the weight of the nation on our shoulders. Yeah. I mean, a lot of folks look at polls leading up to catch, you know, the trends leading up to these big elections. I always look at Virginia and uh, and specifically volunteer engagement in Virginia. I think you can, because, uh, you know, by my standards, uh, I feel good about 
you know, our chances when I see a lot of volunteer engagement. Um, and uh, I mean, that's the simple, you know, pretense of the show. How we win is when we all get involved. That's how we win. And so Virginia is our first opportunity to really see how volunteers, not just in Virginia, but nationally, because you get a lot of volunteers from outside of Virginia uh, pitching in for these crucial races. Uh, it's a great bellwether for, uh, you know, what's going to happen the following year. So, um, I guess having said that, you talked a little bit about why it's so important to get involved. Um, what's the most uh, effective thing folks from out of state can do to uh, to make sure that we uh, we turn it all the way blue again, turn it back blue again? Because we did, and then it kind of slipped, but now we need to get it back. Yeah, I like to think Virginia is like a periwinkle shade of blue, right? <laughs> we're kind of, yeah, but we're kind of there, and it really is. Mm-hmm swing state it's it's changing you know as as we speak it's changing i think folks from across the country whatever you can do to chip in if you have time i mean these days with technology it's so easy to text or phone bank from anywhere in the country and we can set up you know lists and, and you know um phone banks, virtual phone banks for people to get involved. If, But we, I also know time is precious. And so if you don't have the time to do that, you can also just contribute. Um, every penny, every dollar counts. It helps go towards um, the field program. Partners across the state have been working together to, to make sure that we implement a strong program in terms of you know, our path to victory. There's so much you can do. We have a group from uh, Washington State common power that come, they've been coming every cycle since 2019 to volunteer with us on the ground. They were actually just here last week for uh, the primaries and they just knocked doors. So it's fun. We welcome folks. We're happy to host people uh, in Virginia. And it's just a fun time because it, it just gives you a sense of, I think when you go and talk to voters and when you have these conversations, you get to build relationships and you get to really understand and have that human connection. Politics doesn't have to be transactional. It's actually about making those connections and finding commonalities and encouraging people to work together to change the world, to change the world that we want to live in. Absolutely. Can I jump in and just ask a follow-up about the primaries last week? Because one of the things I think is so great about New Virginia Majority is, you know, you work really closely with the party and you make sure that Democrats get elected and against Republicans, but you also push on issues and you also endorse in primaries to make sure that the right people get in on the ballot to vote uh, in November. And so I'm just curious if you could share, like, of doing that work, um, which just wrapped up last Tuesday, what um what was really exciting for you what was what was like surprising uh you know what was like what your favorite thing that happened and what was like something that was you know surprising or maybe not your favorite thing <laughs> how'd it um, go <laughs> <laughs> yeah it went, well. it went really well actually yeah i mean our our work isn't to elect democrats right that is not our mission our mission is to build power for working class communities of color and to hold government accountable to our communities. And so that means, part of that means that we work to elect people who share our values and who can champion the causes that we deeply care about. So it's not about electing Democrats and that's partly why we engage in primaries when it makes sense. Um, 
So, so last week we had primaries in Virginia. There were lots of exciting races on the ballot. I think the most exciting race that got national attention was Senate District 13, mm-hmm. where uh, LaCherise Aird took on Joe Morrissey as an incumbent. Mm-hmm. Joe Morrissey is a part of that slim Senate Democratic majority and also the only Democrat in that Senate caucus that is not a champion of reproductive justice and abortion rights, and in fact has voted against abortion access in the past. And given all that's at stake right now, Virginia is the last state in the South that allows, you know, a person to have, you know, agency over their body. Um, From New Mexico to Virginia, like that, like we are it. And that's what was on the line uh, in that particular race. And LaSherie's won. And it was, it was one of those, it was so exciting on election night. We were at her party and she came out and everybody was cheering. She cried. I cried. Um, It just, you know, Joe was one of those candidates. That's a maverick. He's, he's won elections against all odds. He's won elections while he was, you know, sitting in jail. Like it's just, he, he, you know, not with someone like him. So, so that was very exciting. Um, I would say some of the other races that were really exciting to me, we were involved in three prosecutor primaries in Northern Virginia with all of the conversation that's happening across the country around crime and public safety and this backlash on the reform prosecutor movement. In Northern Virginia, we saw our three reform prosecutors that we first got elected in 2019 challenged and um, they won. They won handedly. And it just showed that, you know, we're on the right path. They're doing mm-hmm. something right. They won on their successes despite a very concerted effort by Republicans to vote in this Democratic primary. And Virginia has open primaries, and so you don't have to register by party. And so anybody who's registered to vote can vote. And they actually put forward a GOTV program to get Republicans to vote against these incumbent prosecutors. Wow. And yet still won, right? Yeah. And then the third and final thing I'll say that's super exciting about the primaries and what we've got ahead of us mm-hmm. is that we have the most diverse field of candidates in Virginia's history. Wow. Cool. All of the Democrats that are running on the ballot in November, over half of them are women. Half of them are people of color. The of Asian American candidates, um, there are currently four Asian American legislators or nine Asian candidates. So they're like more than doubled um, the potential of the API caucus. There are seven LGBTQ folks candidates. I mean, we are talking about just a completely different like makeup of our potential makeup of our legislature. And it's so exciting to me. That's That's incredible. That's so incredible. That sounds very exciting. So congratulations on all of your good work there. Um, You mentioned uh, (laughs) the, uh, the Democrat who is not in favor of women's bodily autonomy. Um, obviously that's a, an issue that resonates with uh, a lot of folks on the ground there and all over our country uh, for that matter. When we talk about bellwether states and issues that are really you know, bringing out voters, are there other issues that you saw in the primary that really brought people to the polls? Absolutely. I think gun safety was a big issue that played out in a lot of the races this year. Mm-hmm. One of, it was actually the top issue that voters brought up when we talked to them on the doors. Mm. Um, so many mass shootings in this country. Um, I don't have to, you know, tell like you turn on the news and you hear yeah. it 
You know, it's yeah. constant. Folks are feeling feeling it. Parents are worried about their kids' safety, and it, it showed up. And it particularly showed up in another primary that happened in Northern Virginia, where um, Saddam Salim, newcomer, candidate, amazing background, history, story, he boot, like ran a bootstraps campaign, completely, you know, not funded. He had maybe $115,000 hmm. and took out an incumbent Democrat named Chap Peterson, who spent over a million dollars in this primary. Wow. And the main issue that differentiated them was gun safety. Mm-hmm. And and Saddam won handedly. And it was just incredible. So I think there are lots of issues that are really important. And that that's that's what's at stake right now, right? When I said that the, there's an opportunity for, you know, Governor Yunkin to have Repu- Republican trifecta and to pass a MAGA agenda, I think Virginians know that that is what is at stake, whether it's environmental justice, whether it's reproductive justice, whether it's criminal legal reform, you know, voting rights, everything is on the line. And I think that there's a real opportunity to make that case and for Democrats to take back the majority. Yeah, I mean, may it be so. Um, I guess one question. <laughs> <Maybe> I, <so. laughs> um, I'm curious about the gun violence, because as you hear people are concerned and like in that primary, when there was a differentiation, what what is that? What are what are voters hungering for when it's when it comes to talking about gun violence? Is it really a boldness in the policy? Is it more kind of even just surfacing it as part of an overall message? Or what do you what do you see? Working? And you had some practical push and pull there, too, because you passed some, you know, really transformative gun legislation when you had the full majority and then that was repealed, correct? We've made some progress on gun safety and addressing gun violence, but we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. I think voters are looking for for politicians. Real for solution. People, people to do something, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and stop giving lip service. You cannot, I mean, you, it's just so pervasive in our country right now. A couple of weeks ago, before the primary even happened, there was a high school graduation in downtown Richmond and there was a shooting and mm-hmm. um, a graduating senior and his stepfather were killed in mm-hmm. that shooting. What was supposed to have been a moment of joy, right, became a moment of like tragedy. Yeah. And so folks were feeling it. It's it's front and center for a lot of folks. I mean, even basic things like we should pass a ban on assault weapons. Why? Why does the average citizen need to have an assault weapon? Yeah. Make any sense. Right. And so yeah. people are looking for real solutions, not lip service. They, you know, it's, it's just so important for people to know and understand that people are actually addressing the problem. Thoughts and prayers are no longer enough. They've never been enough, but like they are really not enough at this moment. I mean, yeah. it's the leading cause of death for our children. It's gun violence. Right. My, my daughter recently uh-huh. just, she's going to be 21 in August. So, which makes me, I can't say that out loud still, but anyway, um, <laughs> she, she was writing some poetry and she had this line in there about, um, you know, what she hoped for the future was someday when she heard fireworks, not, you know, uh, worried that it was a shooting, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and that it was just people celebrating. You know, when the messaging was coming out around CRT, which I, I know you were saying it was like really fake, like that wasn't actually a thing people cared about on the ground, but it was generated by the right me- me- like kind of media machine, disinformation, blah, blah, blah. I guess I'm just wondering what you see on the horizon for, from them. Like what are they starting to already sort of gin up from the other side that you and we all want to be prepared for in the for the November elections? 
I think we what we saw and from what I could tell in the last couple of months of just doing uh, the elect electoral work here, I think they're gonna ride, they're gonna run really hard on crime mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. been sort of their dog whistle. Mm-hmm. What gives me hope though is that despite them running on that, right, and saying that reform prosecutors are not actually prosecuting criminals and they're like, you know, that they failed us and our communities are less safe. The reality is that our communities are safer. These mm-hmm. reforms work. And um, we have an antidote to what they are trying to present. Um, so that gives me a little bit of hope and positivity. But I do think that they're going to run on crime and safety. They're going to connect the fentanyl crisis to gangs and violence, to scapegoat. Um, I mean, our governor just sent, I don't know how many National Guard folks down to the Texas border, right? right. Because fight fentanyl and address the gangs coming, you know, from Mexico, you know, distributing fentanyl. That's not what's happening. And yet that's the case they're going to try to make to, um, you know, to scare their folks into voting. Right. Which is also why the gun violence issue is such an important one to bring up and make salient, because that is actually what people care about when they think about safety. And the Republicans are on such the wrong side of that. So that's really cool. It's a great point. Well, saying all that, you did speak a little bit about what gave you hope there, but we always finish our interviews with uh, that last question. What gives you the most hope right now? I think just so what gives me hope is the fact that more and more folks are becoming engaged. We might have lost, for example, we might have lost in 2021, mm-hmm. but that, that wasn't because there wasn't an increase in voter turnout and enthusiasm on our side. In fact, we did increase voter turnout on our side. It just, right. we didn't anticipate the surge that they would have on their side. Yeah. There are more folks that are speaking out now and are engaged. And, you know, Steve, just to your point earlier, like a good barometer, right, is like how engaged people are because that's how we win. Yeah. Um, and I, I think in particular young people, and the fact that young people are engaging more, whether it's in electoral politics or just in, you know, holding their government more accountable. And that gives me the most hope because I know that the change that we want to make isn't going to happen in my lifetime. You know, we're we're too old. We're middle-aged. We're old. Whatever. It's not going to happen in our lifetime, right? Come on. But you're the, making me sad. This is supposed to be our hopey <laughs> segment. But the hope is, hope though is that we are leaving the tools behind. Like, they're engaged mm-hmm. now. And, you know, I always ask myself, am I doing enough? Even though the change isn't going to happen in my lifetime, am I doing enough? Am I leaving enough behind the tools, the skills, whatever it is that I can impart so that the next generation can pick up the mantle? And it, I don't even have to wait to see that because we're seeing it. We're seeing the young folks actually already picking up the mantle, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that's how we win. I think that's how we save democracy in this country. And, you know, that's that's what gives me hope to move forward. There it is. Yay. There it is. <laughs> Tram. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, so beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, and thank you for your incredible work in Virginia and, and all over our country, really. You inspire so many with your uh, tremendous example of organizing on the ground in your community. So thank you. And, uh, you know, on to November. Yes, onward. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. 
We want to hear from you. Please send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or find us on social at howwewinpod, at bluesboysteve, at Jen Ancona, and check out Jess Craven's great Twitter at, no, I'm sorry, check out Jess Craven's great TikTok account at Jess Craven 101. I'm so glad everyone's like left us by now and doesn't listen to this. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts and share our show with your friends and family. There's always work to do, so we'll be back with more next Wednesday. Ba-da-ba-ba. 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 Ba-